Hello and welcome to Screaming in Silence. For most of us, severe pain is thankfully a fleeting experience, but for some, like myself, it's a permanent companion. For the past 25 years, everything I've done or experienced has been accompanied by chronic pain. Yet, to the surprise of most, I consider myself one of the luckiest people alive and I'm thankful for this journey. Through this podcast series, I'll share with you my story and the insights I have gained that have allowed me this perspective. First, a little background on who I am and why I'm doing this. My name is Fraser, I'm a 47-year-old father of three, I live in Christchurch, New Zealand and have done for all my adult life. As long as I can remember, I've had a passion for motorcycling, and as the result of a motorcycle accident back in 1997, I've spent the past quarter century in severe chronic pain, making me somewhat of an unwilling expert in pain management. I don't have any formal training nor qualifications, but I have plenty of on-the-job experience. Over the past two and a half decades, people that have heard my story and my perspective on life have told me how they've been inspired by it and that I should share it with others. So here I find myself now, in front of a microphone, doing exactly that. I guess the best place to start is the actual day itself, uh, Sunday, October the 19th, 1997, just nine days after my 22nd birthday. As I said, motorcycling was my passion, and after leaving my job in car sales, I had just begun working at a local motorcycle dealership. So, I was young, working in the industry I loved, and with my life ahead of me, I was in a great place and looking forward to my future. On this particular weekend, my girlfriend at the time, Kerry, was out of town visiting a friend of hers, so with not much else to do on a warm spring Sunday afternoon, I decided to get my motorcycle, a Suzuki GSX-R750 sports bike, out of the garage and go for a quick ride up the local hills. Christchurch, my home city, sits on the east coast of the South Island on the Canary Plains, and at the southern end of the city are the Port Hills. They separate Christchurch from the port town of Littleton. The hills not only have some great views from the southern Pacific Ocean stretching across the plains to the southern Alps, but they also have some great roads that are enjoyed by car and motorcycle enthusiasts. And being right at my doorstep, they were the obvious choice for a quick ride, and that's all I anticipated doing that day, just get out of the house for an hour or so. I had ridden these roads so often that I really don't recall the journey up the hill, but upon arriving near the summit, I stopped for a quick cigarette break in the car park below the sign of the Kiwi Cafe, before continuing the trip back home. Uh, However, I wouldn't make it past the first corner and I wouldn't be seen home for another two weeks. Here's how the next few minutes unfolded. Leaving the car park, I turned left onto the main road to take me back down the hill and into the city, and the first real corner you encounter is a tight 90 degree right-hand bend. The surface is pretty rough from years of traffic, and it is a corner that requires a fair bit of care, but being young and dumb and thinking I was the fastest thing on two wheels, you could say I wasn't giving that section of road the respect it deserved. However, I must say I know the road and corner well, and I fully expected to be able to slow the bike in time to get safely through the bend. As I neared the corner, I applied the front brake firmly and I felt the bike pitch forward and the rear start to go a little bit light. Being that the surface is uneven, the rear of the bike did start to move around in me, but I really enjoy this feeling, and that probably comes from years of dirt bike riding when I was younger. So I took this in my stride and got ready to tip into the corner. Unfortunately, I had misjudged my entry speed a little, and as I turned into the bend, the back of the bike was not completely settled, and it began to come round sideways to the left. When it did grip the road again, it snapped the bike into what's called a high side accident. 
This is pretty much the worst single vehicle accident you can have on a motorcycle as you get thrown high up and over the side of the bike and ejected into the air. And it was while I was mid-flight that I saw below me the middle barrier, the, the armco, that goes around the outside of the corner. And it was this barrier that I landed on with my left shoulder and the side of my neck. I had managed to wash off a fair chunk of speed, but when I landed on the armco I was still doing around 50-60 kilometres an hour. And I remember sliding along the barrier, head down and feet still seemingly up in the air, until I impacted one of the support posts with my shoulder. This stopped me rather quickly and suddenly I found myself lying on my back, motionless on the other side of the barrier. Everything was dead silent, no more sound of scraping metal and plastic, no sound of the inline four-cylinder engine of my bike screaming, just nothing. Knowing that I'd hit my head and neck, I remained as still as possible as to not cause any further damage, but I had this feeling that my left arm was extended out in front of me, still gripping the handlebar, and this was somewhat concerning. Carefully I lifted my right arm and started blindly fumbling around trying to find my left arm, which I couldn't locate, and this was now really starting to worry me. I mean I could feel where my arm was, but I couldn't find it where I felt it was. Thankfully I heard someone call out to me, it was a male's voice and he yelled out, Don't worry mate, your arm is still there, you've just broken it. This was a huge sense of relief of course, and I remember immediately thinking two things. Firstly, as I'd never broken a bone before, that a broken arm really hurts. And secondly, that I'd get patched up in hospital and be home later that afternoon with my friends giving me a hard time. Of course I didn't know at the time, but I hadn't broken my arm, I hadn't broken anything. Instead I'd severely damaged a section of my spinal cord. Being that it was quite a warm day and I was now lying on the side of the hill under the baking sun in full motorcycle gear, I wanted to take off my helmet and jacket. Thankfully by now a small group of people had come to assist and wisely they stopped me from moving, some of them returning to their cars to retrieve blankets to shield me from the sun. I'll never get the opportunity to thank these people but having them there and looking after me made a huge difference complete strangers who went out of their way to help someone in need. I guess it took around 30-40 minutes for the ambulance to arrive. This was before the widespread use of mobile phones so someone may have needed to drive to a nearby house to make the phone call. But once they arrived the paramedics set about assessing me and getting me ready to be transported to Christchurch Hospital. After they had safely removed my jacket and gloves and helmet they positioned a stretcher underneath me to get me into the ambulance, and I remember one of the paramedics saying as they went to lift me up, now this may hurt quite a bit, and yeah, boy he wasn't wrong, but it wasn't due to my injury, instead the stretcher had caught some skin on my back, and as they lifted me up it got pinched between the frame of the stretcher. Once I managed to let them know what was going on, they repositioned me and got me into the back of the ambulance. From where we were to the hospital would be about a 20 minute trip, but I don't really recall much of it. By now the pain was really starting to take hold, but you have to remember I was under the assumption I'd broken my arm, nothing really too serious, so I figured this was normal. The last thing I do remember is the paramedic who was attending to me calling out to the driver, Steve slow down, take it easy, this one is in a bad way, but uh, yeah, I'm not convinced he got the message because only a couple of minutes later I too was calling out for him to slow down. That's really the last thing I remember about that Sunday. My mother was somehow informed of the accident and had made her way to the hospital and she tells her seeing me screaming in agony in the emergency ward so I'm glad I don't recall anything more. The next memory I do have is of opening my eyes and seeing my brother looking down at me 
then looking over and seeing my girlfriend Kerry, both of whom wore faces of concern, but I had no idea why. I believe this was on the Monday, the day after the accident, but what day it was mattered not in my new world. Really, I had no idea where I was, what day it was, nor what was happening. It occurred to me, however, that whatever was happening, to see my brother there meant something wasn't right. One thing that did stand out to me, despite the effects of the incredible pain I was in and the pain relief medication, was that my left hand wasn't working. When I moved on my bed, it just lay there, not responding, and I had to pick it up with my right hand. I remember not being able to make sense of this, but it also didn't concern me greatly at the time. What was more concerning for me was the pain, the crushing, the burning and tearing my left arm and hand were experiencing. I'd soon find that the nights were the worst, trying to muffle my screams as the pain ravaged every fibre of my being. A lot of it I've shut out, it was just so overwhelming. Everything was a bit of a blur at the time and would remain this way for the first two to three days. There were regular visits from family and friends which was greatly appreciated. The constant noise of various machines monitoring me, morphine drip attached to my right arm and continual checkups from doctors and nurses. But still I had no real idea of what was going on or why I was still in hospital. Just that things were happening. At one stage I did hear a heated discussion outside my room between a couple of my family about what to tell me and when to tell me, however any questions I had would soon be answered. By now it was late in the week, Thursday I think, when my room in hospital slowly started to fill with family and friends, then followed by three doctors. From memory two were from the surgical team and the third was a psychiatrist. After introducing themselves, one began to fill in the gaps I had of the past few days. When I arrived at hospital on the Sunday, the first observations they were able to make were, of course, that there was no response in the left arm and hand, but more concerning at the time was a lack of blood flow to the limb. An incision was made across my chest on the left-hand side, so I've got a rather gnarly scar from the middle of my chest to my shoulder, to find the cause, and they discovered I had crushed an artery going to my left arm. So a decision was made to fly me 400 kilometres south to a hospital in Dunedin for an ulterior transplant. What they discovered next would, however, put those plans to rest. The surgeon went on to tell me that inside my chest they found what was best described as a bull of frayed wool, which were in fact bundles of nerves that had been torn from my spinal cord. So instead of transporting me, they performed the artery transplant in Christchurch. What this meant, I was told, was that I'd lost the use of my left arm and hand and would suffer severe pain from the injury, an injury known as a brachial plexus avulsion. I distinctly remember being calm at hearing this news. I mean, it wasn't a shock. I knew my arm wasn't working, and I had no doubt about the pain either. But now I had answers, and that was more than enough for me. I now had some understanding of what was going on. There was no feeling of despair or sorrow, no regret. Instead, I felt lucky and thankful. I remember my mother saying to me at the time of the accident, I always knew something like this would happen to you. And my response was that maybe I didn't have that accident, but instead got hit by a truck running a red light on the way home and was killed. I was alive. I was walking and talking. I was still here. Yes, I was suffering from incredible pain and had lost the use of a limb, but I was alive. I would spend the next 10 days in hospital, learning to adapt to the changes I faced. Thankfully, the visits from family and friends were still regular, bringing me food and (laughs) motorbike magazines. Generally, I I had a good time in hospital. The nursing staff were incredible and I was very well looked after. Only one night did everything become emotionally too much and luckily a family member's visit provided some comfort. But all in all, my mood was high and I looked forward to returning home and getting back to a normal life. 
So, on Sunday, November the 2nd, two weeks after I first arrived at hospital, I made the decision that I wanted to go home. I was tired of hospital life, and the constant noise and activity was wearing thin, and my doctors had themselves said there was nothing more they could do for me. So, what was the point of me taking up a room there? I would, however, have to do a bit of convincing to be let free, I found. The doctor in charge of my case wanted me in hospital for four weeks at least, and not to return to work for six months. After a bit of back and forth, along with a promise to return to hospital should the temperature or colour of my arm change, I was finally given the all-clear to return home, to complete the journey I'd set out on two weeks prior, albeit without my motorcycle and a working left arm. But I was going home, I was closing this particular chapter and moving forward. Before I was allowed to go, however, I was taken to a department in the hospital where I was presented with some tools to help me adapt to living with one arm. Things to hold a piece of bread still while I buttered it, or to hold a potato still while I peeled it. I said thanks, but no thanks, I'll work it out. I didn't feel like I would need something like that to get by, and to this day I still don't. With that out of the way, and all my clothes packed, plus a large bag of pain relief medication, I was heading home, back to my house, my bed, and my life. I was eager to get back to my routine, and despite the effects of the pain meds and the pain itself, I was back at my job in the motorcycle shop one week later, making jokes with my colleagues about my new one-armed life. The medication they had given me did little to dampen the pain, but being opiate-based it numbed me enough to be able to function, but not to really allow me to feel like me, and the pain was still ever-present. Up until then, pain had always been that fleeting experience most of us are used to, you know, a burn or a cut never anything permanent, so I had no idea what was in store for me. I did therefore expect the pain would subside as the injury healed. Chronic pain was a term I'd never heard of before, but I was about to learn all about it. However, chronic pain would soon shape me in a way I don't think anyone could have predicted, certainly not me. It would give me more than it would take from me. It would make me stronger, it would make me incredibly self-aware, and change my perspective on life in a truly positive and meaningful way and it would become something I would never wish to change. Most importantly to me, it would allow me to help other people, which I've found to be incredibly rewarding and enriching. I very much believe that if I can help just one person with their struggles with the things I've been lucky to learn, then my journey will be worthwhile. One day, one afternoon, and one split second. That's all it took to drastically change the course of my life, of any of our lives for that matter. The security and safety you thought you had, torn away in an instant. But what becomes of that is solely up to us. No matter the disruption, we are always in control. And I would live that every day for the next 25 years and the rest of my life. The lessons I have learned, the person I am today, the family and friends I have, I owe all this and more to my journey and for that I'm thankful and would never change a thing. How I got to this I'll explain over the next few podcasts so make sure you don't miss out. Thank you very much for taking the time to sit with me and listen to this part of my journey. In the next episode, I'll be sharing just what the pain feels like and how it affects me on a day-to-day basis. If you enjoyed this episode and don't want to miss out, please subscribe. I'll be putting a new episode up each week. You can find me on my Patreon page. Just search Screaming in Silence at Patreon.com or use the link in this episode's description. Joining gives you access to an exclusive community where you can ask me anything related to my journey or maybe about one you're on yourself, along with other Patreon-only content, or if you just want to support this podcast. If you know of anyone who you think would benefit from hearing about my journey in pain management and life perspective, please do share. The more that can benefit, the more worthwhile my journey becomes.
Once again, thanks very much, take care, and I look forward to sharing more of you next time.